Well, I just want to start off by saying uh, welcome to Pillar Church of Oceanside and just e- express a little bit of thanksgiving for all those that participated yesterday in the Salute to Military Children. Man, it was awesome. It was super cool. Uh, first time doing it. Um, Lynette, who joined us here, changed her flight to be with us. She's up in Seattle and has been doing these kinds of events up in um, Lewis McCord Joint Base up there for for years and years and years, and had a desire to come down here and and partner with a, a church, and we got connected and were able to do it yesterday. Something like 160 something families. We we gave away almost 300 hot dogs. There was a constant flow of people. Great energy, excitement. And so just really grateful for everybody that participated. I know there were a lot of people that came to help. There are others that um, knew people that were resources that actually showed up. Um, some that had tables here at, at the event as well and gathered people, princesses and things of that nature. It was super cool. Um, really grateful. Couldn't have done it without you guys and, and really um, excited. We're going to do it again, Lord willing, in November where hopefully it'll be even bigger, more people, more activities. This is what we do, right? We are miles from this massive Marine Corps base, and we want to be a blessing to our community, and this is a great partnership um, with Task Force Media, so thank you, Lynette, for, for reaching out, for partnering with us, and for all of that, so thank you, um, really appreciate it. Also, just wanted to express thanks, I know that you haven't seen me a lot lately, uh, Mike's been preaching for the last month or so, not by design, three weeks in a row he was supposed to do. I was gone one week, we were gone in Georgia, and then I was sick, so he got a fourth week. I was going to pretend to be sick this week, so he could do <laughs> five weeks in a row, because next week we go on vacation, so we'll be gone for two more weeks, so Mikey could have had like a seven, whatever you call that, trifecta times two plus one. There would be no one left when I came back, I know there'd be, there'd be plenty of people back, so I, I realized other people had to step up and do things, and one of the beauties of being in a military-focused church is people are ready to to do just that, step in and work, and and this ministry is not based around a personality or uh, an individual, it's around the body of Christ coming together to do what we're doing, to minister to the community, to sit under the teaching of the Word of God, to worship together, and then to go back out. And it doesn't matter who's up front, we're doing that because that's what the Bride of Christ does. Amen? Amen. So I just want to say thank you for that, really grateful for this church family and and... Yeah, so we're going to jump into the message today. We've been going through this series we're calling The Language of Faith. We're just picking words that sometimes we use in the Christian world and we think we know what they mean or we have an assumption that people we're talking with know what they mean, but sometimes there's some depth to those words that we don't really spend a lot of time talking about. And so as I was preparing, my mind was brought back to a place that some of you may be familiar with. Um, having been around the Marine Corps a while, um, recruiting duty. Anybody a fan of recruiting duty? Marine Corps recruiting duty? Okay, we got one. <clears throat> John Martin, absolutely. The only one in history of recruiting duty that actually liked it, John Martin, who thrived out there. Yeah, it was good stuff. Well, I was on recruiting duty. However, uh, being a musician, I had a special task where I was just recruiting musicians. So I had an entire district, 10 states. I would travel around auditioning kids to come into the Marine Corps music program. Fun side note. I have a few fun side notes today. Uh, Being a musician in the Marine Corps is the only job in the Marine Corps that you need a prerequisite skill. They can teach you how to fly a $50 million plane in 24 months, but not play the saxophone. (laughs) So a little bragging rights there. 
So I was down in Houston, Texas, actually the Woodlands, Texas, just north of Houston, and I was asked to, oh, you know the Woodlands, do you? Thank you for that. I was asked to help judge a high school marching band competition. And it's exactly what it sounds like. About 30 high school bands from all ranges of musical ability, and I was handing out what was called the Semper Fi Award. We kind of made it up, but it was cool for the kids. And so here I am watching these 30 high schoolers on Halloween. I don't know who has a high school marching band competition on Halloween. So Chris and the kids are across the street in the neighborhood trick-or-treating. I'm here watching 30 high school marching band programs go to town. But what I'm doing is I'm, I'm not picking things apart, right? I'm looking for things that they're doing well, right? I want to celebrate their unity, their teamwork, uniform appearance, how they look. Maybe there's some aspect of patriot, patriotic uh, fervor to what they're doing. Things that are in line with what we might think of Marine Corps qualities or, you know, the Semper Fi Award. All the other judges, though, they're there with their notepads and they're, you know, they're tearing it apart, right? Wrong notes, bad sound, kid fell down, you know, whatever happened, out of step, uniforms are all messed up. Two very different kinds of judging happening, right? And it got me thinking about judging and rewards, specifically, though, in heaven. So when you and I leave this earth and we stand before our maker as followers of Jesus Christ, we're going to be judged. Did you know that? Now, if you don't believe me, let's look at our text for this morning, 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. So each of us is going to receive something for the things that we've done here on earth. And speaking earlier that I was just addressing different kinds of judging, this is different from those who will face judgment that have not put their faith in Christ. Right? So there's two different kind of things going on here. That's a judgment that incurs penalty for sin. If you're a Christian, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then you have the free gift of salvation, which at its core is the forgiveness of sins and his taking your punishment in your place. So this judgment then, it must be different than that kind of judgment. But what is it that we might receive? Just think about this. What is it that we could receive that would be more than Jesus forever? I mean, that's it, like eternal life with Jesus, but there's something else. There's something more than that. What else could we possibly want or have? That's the question I'm going to ask, one of the questions. So let me just pause right here, ask for the Lord's help, and we will continue with the message. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for the way in which you love us. As Christy said earlier, Lord, you, we are imperfect and we miss the mark all the time. Yet you love us. You forgive us. You strengthen us. You equip us to continue to put one foot in front of the other, Lord. To do the things that you've called us to this earth to do. To be the light and the darkness. To be your hands and feet. To be your ambassadors. Your representatives here on earth. And Father, as we look to your word this morning, I pray that you'd show us, God, just exactly 
what you have in mind in terms of rewards. This is a big deal to you. And not something we talk about very often, Lord. So help us to have hearts to receive and to hear and to apply. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have questions this morning, you can text them to that number right there. Anything you hear during the sermon, you're like, ah, that doesn't make sense, or maybe I need a little bit more clarification on that. Text your questions to that number. Mike and I will come up here at the end, and we will attempt to at least provide a little bit of insight into those questions. So let me just kind of gauge the room here. How many of us like the idea of being rewarded for something good that we've done? Yeah, don't be honest. Like, don't be like, eh, you know. We like it. All every hand should be in the air. Receive recognition for a job well done. We like that. We do. Or maybe a nice comment from our spouse about how they delight in us. We like that. We do. These are wonderful things that we get to experience as human beings. But did you know that we're wired to enjoy those things? We actually are meant to enjoy those things. C.S. Lewis, he wrote extensively on this idea that he calls fame with God. Fame with God. That is approval, appreciation, and accolade. In other words, the surpassing happiness that Lewis envisions is the pleasure of having our Heavenly Father delight in us, his children. It's the joy of having God praise and give glory to us. I'm going to say some things today that if you've not heard them, you're going to be like kind of backpedaling a little bit. You're like, "Eh, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. I don't like the way that that sounds. And that's okay. But for Lewis... This glory that he's talking about means having a good rapport with God, acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, and just sort of a welcoming into the heart of who he is. We're talking about in eternity now, with him. This is what human beings were made for. This is what we're designed to do. Not only directing praise to God, that's part of this equation, but reflecting his splendor and receiving his satisfaction. We're his children. He delights in us. Now, this idea that not only will we experience glory in heaven, which we will, but that there are rewards that await us may be new for some of you. And I get that. And I'm talking beyond just the idea of heaven itself and eternity with Christ. Because we don't talk a lot about the topic, I'm just going to go kind of slow in the beginning because I don't want anybody to have this sort of knee-jerk reaction and just kind of push back toward this idea of rewards. Because chances are, if you've not heard much on the topic it, it might be a little hard to grab hold of. So four questions I'm going to ask and hopefully answer and give us a little bit of uh, space to navigate what we're talking about here. So number one, will we receive rewards in heaven for our godly work here on earth? Will we be rewarded in heaven for the things that we do in this life? That's question number one. And based on 2 Corinthians 5, I think that is certainly the case. Can you put that first scripture back up again, please, Eladio? Oh, there, sir. Thank you. We're going to stand before the judgment seat. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's all of us before him so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in this body, whether good or evil. I think it sounds pretty clear. We're going to receive rewards for what we've done on this earth. How many of you knew that? How many knew you were going to be rewarded? Okay. How many of you are really looking forward to those rewards? Yeah, not as many hands went up. Okay, that's okay. I'm telling you, this is a little bit weird. You're like, I don't know. Is it okay? 
Well, that's going to be one of the questions that we talk about, so it's all good. Now, this is not the only passage. There are a lot of passages. In fact, if you Google biblical passages about rewards, you'll be surprised how many are there. But if you want a quick, quick fire, write these down. Matthew 5.12. Matthew 16.27. 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15. Hebrews 11, 6. No, I'm not going to slow down. Second John 1, 8. I'm going to hit some more of these as we go. And if you want those more, I'll, I'll let you know what they are. Part of the reason for me asking these questions is I want to put some parameters around what we're talking about here. Because we can go way off into left field with this stuff, and I don't want to go into left field. And maybe your brain is already working overtime, because mine is when I think about this. I'm like, where are you going with this? What's happening? This is, this is uncomfortable. But I do want to make this statement before I go any further because I think it's super important. We need to do this. Because some of you are thinking already, isn't Jesus enough? Like, don't I, do I need anything more than Jesus? What more could I want than eternity with Christ? And I would say you are right on the money. Yes, 100%. Jesus is absolutely enough. But God in his wisdom, he knew that we were designed to experience and enjoy God in multiple ways. God allows us the opportunity to encounter him and enjoy him through multiple avenues. Think about the various ways that we can enjoy and experience God other than just his presence in us. That's paramount. Without Christ in us, without his spirit making us alive, we don't have that experience. But what are some other ways that we experience and enjoy God other than just his presence manifested in our lives. His creation. That's a huge one, right? It's there. We get to experience and enjoy God. How else can we experience and enjoy him? Relationships. Relationships with people, with family members, but with other believers. Community. We're meant to be in community. How else? His word. His word. We get to experience and enjoy Christ through his word, through doing his will alongside of him. There are a variety of ways in which we can enjoy and encounter him. The same is true in heaven. The same is true in heaven. Our ultimate reward, 100%, is being present in heaven with our Lord. But we're going to also more fully enjoy him through the rewards that we receive that ultimately bring our appreciation and our understanding and our glory to its highest capacity. These are the means that we're going to more fully enjoy Christ and more fully glorify him in heaven. So one of the first things we need to understand is that every good thing that we do in this life Every good thing we do in this life is not without the total and complete work of the Lord in us, equipping us to do those things. John Piper says it this way. He says, good works in the life of a Christian are rewarded because they are beautiful. And their beauty is owing to the beauty of God's regenerating and sanctifying grace in the life of a Christian. We are able to do what is truly good only because God caused us to be born again, made us spiritually alive. And because his spirit goes on working in us, what is pleasing in his sight. Right? It's through his goodness working in us that we're able to do good in the first place. We, we bring very little to the table, if anything at all. Especially when we think about our salvation. Let's put up Ephesians 2, 8, 9, because I want to make sure we're emphasizing some of these things that are important to know. 
For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Right? Salvation is not anything that we do. We bring nothing to the table. But being called out of darkness and into his marvelous light, which we are, and when we profess faith, we are, right, new creations in Christ Jesus, we get to experience new things. We get to participate in actions as his representatives on this earth that we didn't get to participate prior to that. Let's read the next verse because sometimes we stop there, but let's look at verse 10 and continue this thought. We are his works workmanship created in Christ Jesus. For what? What are we created for? Oh, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As believers, you and I are called to do good works, which God has prepared for us to do. It's not like we're just randomly going out there doing things. This is all part of God's plan for us. And isn't God so good to provide us these opportunities to do good works? He's amazing that we do that. Problem is, we don't always get it right, do we? We don't. We don't always get it right. We do something good. Thank you. We do something good, and perhaps we have a bad attitude while doing it. Anybody? Yes. Yeah. I got a yes and a couple hands. Kind of, kind of your thing. <laughs> We're all guilty of doing something good and having a bad attitude about it. Or doing something good and then telling everybody about the good thing that we did. Yes, you've all done it, myself included. Or we see a good thing, yeah, man, we got to do that. That's clearly something God would want me to do. I don't want to do it. I ain't got time for it. We just ignore it altogether. That's where 2 Corinthians 5.10 begins to come into play, where we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account and receive what is due for what we've done in this life, whether good or evil. Now, what exactly does this mean, though? Because we've already established that it's not punishment for the sins that we have committed. That's done. It's under the blood. So we begin to get the context, I think, of what we're talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. Man, you're ahead of the game, aren't you? According to the grace of God given to me, we are skilled masters. A skilled master builder laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Next. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Okay, foundation, Jesus Christ, right? That's, that's the foundation, and it appears then that we, we build on that foundation, and we have a choice in how we build and what materials that we use. Now, full disclosure, this passage is talking about true and false teaching. That's the context of this, true and false teaching. But there's a lot of, of carryover um, that 
implies that what he's talking about here is a principle that applies across the board of all of the things that we do as representatives of Jesus. It's not just talking about the teachings, although that's this particular context. So we choose to build with good materials, which were what? Gold, silver, precious stones. Or not so good materials, which were wood, hay, and straw. Those are representatives of, of good and bad things. Then on the day, notice that the D was capitalized. So what kind of D, what kind of day is that? It's the day. It's judgment day, right? On that day, it will become apparent what we used to build. Did we use good stuff? Did we do bad stuff? If we've done, go back to the previous context that I was just talking about. If we've done the good that the Lord has set before us with the right and pure hearts, when it's tested by fire, it will remain as evidence that the Lord has allowed us to do this good thing. But if it's burned up, then it would seem that our attempts at doing good did not have Christ at the center, and thus those things are burned up. Does it say that we are burned up? No. It says the poor work, the false teaching, the things done with bad motives, all that stuff is burned up. But then we have these few words that I believe in verse 15 that really are the key of this. If anyone's work is burned up, he will what? He will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Here's the point. What could have been a reward gets burned up, and we suffer loss. Not because we feel bad that we're not getting the reward that we could have gotten. That's not the suffering loss that he's talking about here. But because of what that means ultimately for the name of Jesus and our ability to more fully enjoy him. Remember I said that rewards allow us to more fully enjoy him in heaven. So if we are not able to bring those things before the Lord and receive those things, then we suffer loss. It's not that we lose our salvation, we lose access into heaven, but we lose the ability to more fully enjoy and glorify God. We still get in the door, right? But we suffer loss. So, yes, we will receive rewards in heaven for the work that we do on this planet. And part of that process is to have that work displayed before us and give an account for the manner in which we did it. So if that doesn't cause you to, to sit up a little bit straighter in your chair, it ought to. Because part of the reason we're talking about this is because it, has, it should have an impact in how we live our lives now. It should. Hear me again. This is not works-based righteousness. You're not earning anything but part of why we should learn about this topic is to see how it changes our lives here and now in the service of the Lord. Okay, that's the first question. I promise that's the very longest answer. The rest are going to go real quick, real quick. Number two, once we gain a reward, can we lose it? I got a mm, nope and a couple of head scratches. Sometimes I think we play these mind games. Where we think, man, I did this great thing this morning, and then this afternoon I did this really terrible thing. So they cancel each other out, right? We keep this ledger in our mind of how it works. Let me put your mind at ease. There's no ledger. 
right? God is not keeping track. It's like, eh, here's all these good, again, here's all these bad. Let's see how, no, that's not the way that it works. How can we be sure? You want assurance that this is the case. Let's look at Matthew 10, 41 through 42. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So there's no hint here in these verses that we're going to lose anything. That, you know, we do this good work, we bring this cup of water to a disciple, we basically we come alongside of somebody who's maybe a missionary, and we, we support them, we pray for them, we love on them, we do something good for them, and in the afternoon, you know, we do something we ought not to do. You know, we yell at our neighbor, or we get upset with our children. We, we, those two things do not cancel each other out. Right? There's no, no emphasis in this verse that says, you're going to lose it, you did it, okay, now you lost it. So we should avoid, we should avoid any kind of behavior that seeks to do good for the sake of making up for the bad that we've done. That's not the equation. That's not what Jesus has in mind at all. We good on that? I told you it was going to be quick. The next couple answers are like pretty quick. So no, we do not lose the reward that we gain. And we don't do things with the motivation of trying to make up for the bad that we did. Good on that? All right, number three. If there are varying degrees of rewards in heaven, won't that cause jealousy? Because you're thinking to yourself, there's no way we're getting across the finish line all equal in, in, the, in the amount of work that we've done for the Lord, right? Some people dedicate their entire lives to serving the Lord and doing good work. Some people come to faith in their 60s, right? So th th there's no way that we're going to come across the line having the same amount of work. So, so if that's the case, how can people be rewarded differently and still have harmony in heaven? How many of you have thought about that? Anybody? A couple of you. Okay. Two thoughts here. One is a story about Billy Graham. So in a chapel address, he was addressing some of the people there, and he said to the employees that he expected some of them would actually receive greater rewards in heaven than he did. And of course, they looked at him skeptically. <laughs> They're like, yeah, right, come on, dude, you're Billy Graham. And he got really serious, and he said this, Do you not understand that God rewards faithfulness, not fruitfulness? He, re he rewards faithfulness, not it's not the amount of things that you do. It's the faithfulness to the things that you have been given to do. The faithful use of a small gift elicits more delight in God than the poor use of a huge gift. That's the first thing. The second thing, though, comes from a very famous sermon on this topic from Jonathan Edwards. He was an 18th century sort of revivalist, evangelist, preacher, theologian. <clears throat> Another side note. Remember I told you I had, fun, I had to have fun side notes today? How many of you have seen the musical Hamilton? Hamilton, come on. Okay, how many of you have heard of Alexander Hamilton? Okay, good. <clears throat> I just got to get some participation. You guys are sitting there like, you're really thinking heavy on these things. Uh, maybe that's what it is. Okay, Hamilton, musical, go watch it. Amazing. Anyway, Aaron Burr is singing this song. Not actually Aaron Burr, but, you know, the character of Aaron Burr. He's singing a song called Theodosia, and one of the lines in there, he says, 
My grandfather was a fire and brimstone preacher. Preacher. You know that part? Yeah. You guys. <laughs> so he sings this song. He says, my grandfather was a fire and brimstone preacher. 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 It echoes. Do you know who Aaron Burr's maternal grandfather was? I just told you. Jonathan Edwards. Not Billy Graham. Jonathan Edwards! You're not impressed. I was super impressed. I was like, that's amazing. His granddad. Anyway. So he's preaching a sermon on Romans 10, or Romans 2. 10. And here's a short section. I'm going to read it because he's Jonathan Edwards and I'm not. And he's got a lot to say on this topic. He says, Christ tells us that he who gives a cup of cold water to a disciple in the name of a disciple shall in no wise lose his reward. We did that already. But this could not be true if a person should have no greater reward for doing many good works than if he did but a few. It will be no dampening to the happiness of those who have lower degrees of happiness and glory, that there are others advanced in glory above them, for they all shall be perfectly happy. Everyone shall be perfectly satisfied. Here's the key. Every vessel that is cast into this ocean of happiness is full, though there are some vessels far larger than others. And there shall be no such thing as envy in heaven, but perfect love shall reign throughout the whole society. I could read a lot more. And if you want to get into the intricacies of how that looks and what that means, go to the digital bulletin. There's a link to the entire sermon. And it is long, but very insightful. It's, it's this message that we're talking about, like, totally worth your investment. So pillowoceanside.com slash bulletin, Jonathan Edwards sermon, link it up. You can go in there and see how that all works. This is just a small piece of the puzzle, but the basic point is this. Everyone's cup will be full in heaven, but we do have varying sizes of cups based on the rewards that we will gain in heaven. So the hierarchy, though, that we're talking about has no impact whatsoever in our individual satisfaction in Christ and our complete enjoyment of Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, last question. Should these rewards be a motivation for our godly work here on earth? I kind of asked this question earlier, and there was kind of like, uh, I'm not sure what to do with that. It feels like a trick question. It feels like the answer should be no. I shouldn't use the rewards that I'll receive as incentive for the work that I'm going to do here on this earth. It's a good question, I think. And what I think maybe the answer will surprise you when we walk it out. The problem is with our logic. If we reject this idea that God motivates us in this life through the promise of rewards in the life to come, and the Bible actually teaches that this is the case, then we're going to turn away from the very thing that God uses as a source of strength to continue in doing good. Say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to use this as a motivation. But God, in his word, tells you, I'm motivating you in this way. And you're going, no, you're basically stiff-arming God. That's what's happening. If the Bible teaches this is the case. So, does it teach this is the case? Yes, it does. You want some proof? Great, let's go to Luke 14. 
He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So here's how one scholar talks about this. He says, Jesus didn't add that last promise for nothing. That is in verse 14. You will be blessed in making sacrifices in this world to love others because you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. That word there, for you will be repaid, he says, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you because you will be repaid. That's another way of reading that translation. You see, he intends for that to be a motivation, an incentive, a strengthening. We're not seeking payback here on this earth. That's the whole point. Loving people cost us something. It's difficult. It's thankless oftentimes to love other people. The payback is later at the resurrection of the just. In other words, God told us, look guys, this life is going to be tough. You're going to face all kinds of trials and tribulations and hardships as we seek to love him and love others. It's not going to be easy. And in his kindness and his grace to us, he's placed in incentives and motivations in front of us to keep going, keep putting one foot in front of the other because he says it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. And you'll experience all the more fullness of joy if you just keep going. Now, I know this might sound strange to some of you that have not heard these things before, but when you consider the fact that these rewards in heaven that God uses to motivate us here on this earth ultimately will be the means by which we more fully enjoy Jesus forever, that kind of motivation is a wonderful thing. It truly is a wonderful thing. Let me wrap up by saying this. As believers, as believers, our entrance into heaven and our eternal presence with Jesus Christ is based solely on him and what he accomplished on the cross. Period. We have no part in earning even the slightest bit of credit for our salvation. I, the reason I'm emphasizing is that because people bring this rewards piece into the puzzle and they go, oh, I think somehow I'm actually contributing to my salvation. That's not what we're talking about here. Just get that out of your head. And just like we're able to experience and enjoy Jesus in this life through a multitude of different ways, the same will be true in heaven in the form of rewards. As I said, our ultimate reward, yes, is being present with him. For eternity, absolutely. But we will also more fully enjoy him and glorify him through the rewards we receive that ultimately bring our appreciation, our understanding, and glory to its fullest capacity. These are the means by which we more fully enjoy and glorify Jesus. It's okay for this concept of godly rewards in the life to come to motivate and encourage us in this life. It's a gift of God who knew that we'd be facing difficulties in this life and his goodness, he gives us tools to be able to stay the course. So God sees you, my friends. He knows your heart and he rewards those who diligently seek him. So let's strive to live in light of that truth about who God is. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, 
I pray that this message, God, um, allows us to see just how good you are, how much you love us, how much you desire for us to do all that you called us to do with the right heart, with the right motivation. Lord God, seeking to bring you glory, not ourselves, to partner with you in the work of the Great Commission. God, our, our ultimate end is to, 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 do, to do just that, to bring glory to you. And by your grace, God, you, you see fit to allow us to be rewarded for that. It's sort of this interesting circular activity that happens where you enable us to do the good work. We do the good work through the power that you allow us, you give us, and then we're rewarded for that work, but our reward is a more full enjoyment of you. So all of it, Lord, this entire thing is about you and your name being made great. We just want to be a part of the process. Help us to do that this week. God, I pray that you would help us to see how we might be more effective ambassadors this week. That the truth and weight of this message would compel us to action. To share about the goodness of God. God, help us to do that well, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.